Have you ever made a vow somewhere along the way? You've been through a difficult experience, usually with another person. Something happens, it's negative, you're hurt, you're in pain, and you think, I'm not going to put myself in that position again. I'm not going to open myself up to being hurt that way again. And so you say something like, I'm never going to blank. And you fill in the blank again, because that's just opening me up to pain. Maybe somewhere along the line, someone has said, or some of you have said, I'm never going to date again, right? Because, man, when you're dating someone and you're getting to know them and you think it could go in a direction that could fill the rest of your life, and then you find out that it's not going to, that that person was not thinking that, and there's pain, and you feel like you've been left behind, and you say, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. Or maybe somewhere along the line you've said something like, I'm not going to talk to him about that again. I'm not doing that. You know, I knew when I went into that conversation, it was going to be something touchy to talk about. I knew that he wouldn't want to hear it, but man, it blew up. And, and it's just better to not even say anything than to talk about this. So I'm not doing that again. I'm not ever going to talk to him about that again. Or... Or maybe you've said this, I'm never going to open up like that again. And you told something to someone that, man, it was deep inside. You made yourself extremely vulnerable. You talked about pain or guilt. And now everyone knows. You thought it was in confidence. You thought that it was going to be kept to just you and that other person. And suddenly you're finding out that lots of other people know. And you're thinking, man... It's better just to stuff it down inside than for the whole world to know what I'm going through. And so you say, I'm never going to open up like that again. And why do we do that? We do that to protect ourselves. And it could be lots of different things that we might say, I'm, I'm just not going to ever allow that to happen. And, and we do that because we don't want to allow that pain to, to come back in. And so we say, to keep that from happening, I'm never going to let it happen. I'm not going to do that again. Now what's interesting is when the roles are reversed, somehow it looks different to us. When we're the ones who maybe didn't mean to do it, it was unintentional, but we did something that hurt someone. We said something that we wish we could take back. We can't. But they get all upset and say, well, I'm not going to talk, talk about this to you ever again. And we want to say, well, why? Right? I can handle it next time. I'll do better. It's not that big a deal. But it is that big a deal. And as we go through some things like that, we, we begin to recognize that people find it hard to give a second chance. We all do. We recognize that people find it hard to forgive. We, we all do if it, the hurt is really strong. And so in relationships, we sometimes wonder, can other people really forgive me because sometimes it seems like they can't and that plays some games with us in our relationship with God because we know good and well that we've done plenty of stuff that offends God we know good and well that we've said things that man they should not have been said we've done things that God has forbidden we failed to do things that we should have done and it has to has to anger God at times. God has to resent who we are at times. And we begin to wonder, is God more like the people around us or is God something different? Does God struggle to give us another chance? 
Does God struggle to forgive us and allow us to move on from whatever it is that we've done wrong? And, and we begin to think, well, how could he? Because we know how many times we've messed up. We know the severity of pain that we've caused to people around us. We know that we've failed God over and over. So how could it be that God could possibly forgive us? Well, I want us to think about that this morning. Today we continue in this series that I'm calling Complete. And we're studying the book of Colossians. And in Colossians, Paul talks about being made full, being made complete in Jesus. And he talks about the completeness that Christ has as the Son of God and how he has a plan to bring all things to fulfillment. So completeness just goes all the way through this book. And today I want us to think specifically about our relationship with God and whether in the midst of our sin we really can be made complete. Now, last week we left off in, in verse 20 of chapter 1. And in that verse we concluded a, a section of six verses that I think are among the most powerful in Colossians, maybe among the most powerful verses that we find in the whole New Testament where Paul describes the very nature of Christ and he finishes up that passage saying that that God through Jesus has reconciled to himself all things. Things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. How? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, as Paul says that, it seems that a lot of stuff comes to his mind. He's thinking about this reconciliation that comes through Jesus. And it's like, I've got to explain how this works. And so he does in the next three verses that we're going to look at. But if there's a reconciliation then there must be some kind of alienation, right? I mean, if we need to be reconciled to another person, well, there's got to be a problem between me and that other person. And so Paul begins by identifying just that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. He says this, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, we always have to remember when we come to Colossians, this is not just a, a general handbook for church life. This is not just a set of principles that can guide us in living a, a life of Jesus. This is a letter. An actual letter written by Paul and Timothy to a specific church that is filled with real people. So when Paul says you were alienated, that's some, some pretty tough language, isn't it? For, for Paul to say to us, hey, you were alienated from God. That's not exactly pleasant to hear. And the word there, alienated, could be translated something like estranged. So there, there was a relationship, something happened, and these two parties who once were very close have turned away from one another. They're not working together. They're not living life together. They have come apart. And the root of that word is that it's an estrangement that's our fault. In other words, God didn't walk away from us. We have pushed God away. We have said, I don't want to be part of this. And so we've pushed ourselves really away from God. That's the kind of language that Paul's using here. And he says it's happened because of two things. Your enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So Paul says it has to do with your mind and your actions. And that's true, right? I mean, it all does begin in our minds. It begins with the way we're thinking. And Paul says the way you're thinking has alienated you from God. And it's also caused these actions, this evil behavior that has further alienated you, further estranged you. Now, Paul knew about this. 
because he lived in the ancient world. And he had been to cities like Ephesus and Corinth. And he knew what went on in those cities. Now, we might think, you know, Paul hadn't seen the 21st century. He hadn't seen anything. Because we always sort of feel like the world's getting worse and worse and worse. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it's getting better, that's for sure. But there are few cultures in the history of humanity that were any more corrupt than that of the Roman Empire. Where sexuality and violence were just rampant in so many ways that go even beyond what we see in our world. And so Paul knew what it was like. Because remember, Paul's writing to these specific Christians in the city of Colossae. Now he's never met them because Epaphras, who had learned from Paul, took Christianity back to them. But Paul knew what ancient cities looked like. And so he's walked those streets and he's seen how Gentiles conducted themselves. Now, Paul is a Jew and they had much more strict moral codes. And so it looked a little different in Jerusalem than it would in Athens. Paul's seen both. He knew what happened in Colossae. He knew how these Gentiles lived. And he's saying, listen, the way you've lived, and it is, it is pushed God away. You've shown that you're not interested in God, and so you are alienated from Him. Now, what happens? Verse 22, but, and as Jerry said, that word makes all the difference, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And man, so much of the gospel is described in just that one verse. Verse 21, you were alienated from God. Verse 22, but now he has reconciled you. That reconciliation he's referring back to in verse 20 comes alive here. How did it happen? You are reconciled by Christ's physical body in his death. Now that phrase there, physical body, I mean, it's two words put together that both point to the fact that Jesus had an actual body that was flesh. Jesus ate meals. He touched people. You could hear him talk. You could see him. He wasn't just sort of an apparition that, you know, you could see through like a ghost. Jesus had physicality among people. They knew he was real. And this physical body went to the cross. And Paul says that we are reconciled through Jesus' physical body in his death. He says it again this way. Physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Now all that evil that I've committed, that you've committed, that is in the history of humanity, Jesus allowed that evil to be emptied on himself, the power of everything that we've done wrong on the cross. This is what Paul says. It's not just in resurrection. It's not just that we have victory in resurrection. Now, without the resurrection, this is empty. But, but it's on the cross where things change. It's on the cross where all the evil that I have committed, Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to take the penalty. I'm going to take the power of that. And even though evil thinks that killing me is going to be the victory, that, that destroying my humanity and death is going to be the victory, what evil will find out is that it's lost. 
it lost. Because it has nothing left. Because of Jesus' death on a cross. And he says that we're presented as holy. Remember at the beginning of the the letter, we talked about this. He's writing to the holy ones, the saints, not because they're special, not because they're holier than other Christians, because we are all made holy. He says, without blemish or accusation. Now that last word is interesting to me. Because when we think of the power of evil at work, it's hard not to think of Satan himself. Because it feels like Satan is at work in our world and sometimes at work in us. And that word Satan can actually be translated. It has a meaning. It's not just a name. And its meaning is the accuser. Satan is the district attorney in the court case against me and against you. And he's saying, here's all the reasons that James Jones is no good. Let me tell you about him. He's done this and he said that and he hurt this person. And he could go through my whole life and your whole life and list everything that we've ever done wrong. That's the accuser. But here Paul says that because of Jesus' death on a cross, we are presented as holy without blemish or accusation. It is as if Paul is saying the accuser, the Satan, has been silenced. And so we go to court and there's nothing against us. There's no evidence to present. There's no one to list all the bad stuff we've done because it's all gone. And that happens at the cross. The power of Satan himself is defeated ultimately on the cross. Now he's still at work But he knows his future is defeat. And we know his future is defeat because of Jesus. Verse 23, Paul says, if you want this to continue, if you want this salvation, this reconciliation, this healing of a relationship to continue, this is how. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul says, this is what I've been preaching. This is the message that Paul dedicated himself to. After the road to Damascus experience Paul had, everything changed. The rest of his life was devoted to sharing this message of Jesus. Why? Because people needed to know that their relationship with God could be healed. And he says there, you got to stand firm in your faith and in hope. We've talked about the fact that sometimes faith can be much like faithfulness, so continue to be faithful. Continue to have the hope that your relationship with God has been healed and you're going to spend eternity with God. Now, why does that matter? He says if you want to continue in this relationship with God, you've been reconciled to him through Jesus' death on the cross, why does it matter so much that we remain in faith and hope? Because without faith in Jesus Christ, without Jesus at work in our lives, we've got no hope. Without Jesus there, the accuser's back. Without Jesus' death on the cross, Offering us forgiveness, offering us the the power of evil to be defeated. The accusers accusing again. 
So we have to maintain our faith because without faith in Jesus, the relationship is broken again. We are only reconciled through Jesus. And if we don't maintain our faith and hope, that reconciliation is over. So as we think about this verse, this passage, what does it teach us? To me, it's this. Even though we don't always understand why God would do this, but we begin to see how in this passage. The truth for us is that God leaves the door open. You know, when we get hurt, we make the vow. We close the door. I'm not going to open up myself to him again. I'm not going to date again. I'm not going to have this kind of relationship. I'm not going to be vulnerable. We close the door. God leaves the door open. Again and again and again. And we walk out sometimes and... And he says, come back. Come back. The good news of the gospel is that the door is open and we can walk through it. And he is calling us to do that. Now, if we want this at work in our lives, I think there are three basic truths, and I'm going to run through these because I think they're vital for us in our faith. If we can keep these three truths that grow from this passage, we'll get this. First, Whatever you think would keep you from God, from God forgiving you, it won't. Whatever it is you think would keep God from forgiving you for whatever you've done, it won't. And lots of people can come up with a list because they look around on a Sunday morning and it seems like, man, these people basically have their lives together. I mean, they're, they've not done the things that I've done. Well, you don't know that, first of all. And second, God didn't make a long list of sins that he would forgive and then say, okay, that's the things that you can get forgiven of, but here's a list of stuff that, well, I, that's just too far. The only thing that even hints at that is when we deny the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and that's the same thing that Paul's talking about here. If we don't allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives, what do we have left? We have nothing to stand on. But whatever it is you've done that you think God can't forgive, you're wrong. The door's open, and he is waiting on you to walk through it. And so we don't have to be concerned that somehow my sin is worse than someone else's. Second truth is that people around you need to hear the good news. And there are people around us who feel rejected by God and unfortunately feel rejected by the church. Well, they shouldn't. Because again, God forgives. The message of the gospel that we find here in this passage is that God forgives and he invites us back. We can have a relationship with him. And Paul spent his life on this. That's why after he became a Christian, from that point on, he's traveling what was the world in his day, sharing the message of Jesus. Paul's out there writing letters, encouraging Christians, founding churches, developing leaders, even being arrested. Because he believed that was his life's calling. And I think Paul saw it as the calling of any Christian to share the message of Jesus. And then truth number three, the price of forgiveness was high. Just because we say that God is willing to forgive whatever we've done doesn't mean that it was easy. Because look at what it required. 
It required the Son of God on a cross bearing the sin of humanity, willing to die. There's been more than one author who's talked about cheap grace and how we cheapen grace by just continuing in our sin or acting as if it's no big deal. It's a big deal because it changes everything. God leaves the door open. And so today, maybe what we need to do is walk through. Maybe what we need to do is to ask forgiveness for stuff that we've been afraid to ask forgiveness for. To allow Christ to reconcile us to God. And we need to think about who we know that needs to hear the story. And needs to know even though they may feel very far away from God, He's waiting. He's waiting waiting on them to come back, waiting to forgive, waiting to allow them to know him. God leaves the door open. Let's pray together. God, we know we've offended you. We know we've messed up so many times. We get tired of ourselves sometimes because we keep doing the same thing wrong. Thanks for loving us through that and in that and in spite of it. Thanks for opening the door for us again and again and inviting us into a relationship with you. And thanks for allowing Jesus to take on all that we've done wrong and to let it kill him and then to raise him to new life. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.